Hello and welcome to episode three of the Moldovan Coffee Break, a Europe United and European Network production. My name is Ken Sweeney. And I'm Loredana Prismidano. And in this six-part podcast series, we will be casting a spotlight on the country of Moldova so as to examine what it is like to grow up in Moldova of 2021. Now, our aim is to portray Moldova for what it really is, a culture-rich country with a unique past and a hopeful future. So I've been uh, sitting down for a coffee with young Moldovans recently to discuss their thoughts and feelings about their country. But the Moldovan coffee break will reveal a vibrant Moldova that is ready to show the rest of the world that they are here. In this episode, we chat with Alina Maria Zurkanu. She is a student in the last year of high school, and she is engaged in a lot of projects locally. She is also a volunteer for a media platform youth, for youth, and she had lots of projects going on, which are really interesting, and she will tell us more about them in the interview. Hi, Lordana, how are you? I'm good, I'm good, Ken, and you? I'm fine, thank you. Um, we seem to be uh, getting a good bit of feedback from our previous episode, uh, and also episode one as well. Yes, I think uh, it was interesting to have these two perspectives initially, like uh, a student abroad and a student in Moldova, so we have insight from them. Yeah, um, I was intrigued by the maturity of both of them. Uh, it's just amazing, at their age... I was don't know what I was even doing. I can't even remember what I was doing. So, um, so to hear such maturity coming out from both both of our guests, it was just uh, very uh, very inspiring. I think. Yes, I, that was the aim actually, because uh, they are showing that anyone can do anything they want, basically, and they can achieve all of their dreams. And even when the opportunities are a little bit tighter than, say, what you would have in, say, Ireland or Britain or France or Germany. Exactly. Yes. One thing which I didn't say in the last podcast, but I want to make sure that I get this point across, is Vasily and the hard work that he's doing in all of the uh, the work that he's doing in the COVID nineteen hospital wards. I mean, without people like Vasily, uh, the world would be in a far worse place. So I just wanted to get that out to him and just say thank you so much on behalf of everybody around the world who's doing what he's doing as well. Exactly. I think it's such an hard work right now and the fact that he chose to do it voluntarily it's amazing it is it is amazing i'm really looking forward to uh, this interview because as you know both of us are involved with organizations that work in civil society and have lots and lots of volunteers involved now alina is quite active in this field isn't she Yes, as I said, she's involved in a lot of projects, uh, but now because like her time is limited and she needs to apply for uh, the university and also the pandemic, of course, I mean, <laughs> uh, everything changed during that. But she's still managing to uh, have uh, to be active in uh, some quite interesting projects. So we will hear more about them. Great. So what I think we'll do is we'll go straight to the interview now and then we'll have a quick discussion afterwards. I know you are civically engaged in various um, initiatives. Uh, would you like to share with us uh, your favorite projects you're part of and um, why do you think they're important for the society? Okay, so unfortunately I'm in the last year of school and my time for projects and volunteering is really limited, but... So now I'm working on informative videos presented and produced by me on a popular internet 
youth platform. Uh, I try to explain laws in a simple way in order to be understood by teenagers and by uh, all the people that don't study law. Uh, for example, uh, what do you do when your neighbor is playing saxophone in the middle of night? I try to explain this law to, to teenagers and they know the solution uh, after watching my video. Also, I'm really proud to be a young European ambassador and um, we try to promote uh, European values among people from Republic of Moldova. Our aim is to speak more about EU opportunities and uh, resources and uh, somehow to build a strong relationship between European Union and Republic of Moldova. Uh, in our country, a lot of people don't actually know about uh, European Union and what it means. And uh, we try to speak about all the chances they have, uh, about Erasmus and um, other um, opportunities for the teenagers. From my experience, but not exclusively, local authorities are often reluctant uh, to support youth projects uh, or to um, engage young people in decision-making. What's your experience with this? Uh, yeah, of course. All initiatives made by local authorities should ensure effective participation of the young people in the future. Uh, moreover, they should take in the, into account the views and the wishes of youth before making a decision related to them. But in Moldova, the situation is really different. The majority of child participation in initiatives came from civil society and the international organizations, but really rarely from national and uh, local authorities. Various initiatives promoting children and youth participation have been developed over the years, such as local children's councils, children's newspapers and uh, radio stations, and of course groups of peer education. So our teenagers uh, learn to survive by themselves here in the Republic of Moldova, and after they graduate, they of course leave Moldova. Uh, so they develop by themselves, by volunteering and uh, studying, and they look for a better place where the government uh, cares about their mental health, about their ideas, and about their abilities. The, um, the concept of spending time without being remunerated it is often uh, really strange for the older generation. What was your motivation when starting being socially engaged? And uh, were you encouraged by someone specifically to seek for such opportunities? Um, so being a volunteer in Moldova is just amazing because um, I realized when you get to know interesting people from different organizations, you just can't stop and you become dependent on them. So um, it was a period when I checked the opportunities section on a youth platform uh, every day to catch another chance to meet people who aspire to the same goals and values. Um, I got motivated by me and by the people around me because they had the same um, aspirations. And also I love the idea of peer education because when I volunteer, I educate myself by learning from my peers. And that's just amazing. And uh, volunteering is about our, what our school can't teach us. Moldova needs to encourage youth participation because we really can save this country by not being corrupted and believing in uh, noble principles. 
Also, young people have the skills, knowledge and confidence by volunteering to get involved with decision-making in the future. Do you think that the young generation from rural areas on the territory of Moldova have the same opportunities you have here in Chisinau? Yeah, so I had the chance uh, being a young European ambassador and traveling all around Moldova and we meet a lot of people from different schools and villages and we spoke to them about uh, the European school in Georgia, about the chances they have and it's said that some teenagers don't even realize their potential and don't, don't believe in themselves but still they listened to us and got engaged in the discussion they know some things about democracy and, and about civic engagement but they really don't trust themselves and don't think that they can be the future because of our system, of our educational system of their parents that got uh, educated in a Soviet uh, system, in a Soviet family so they have great ideas but they don't realize that um, our educational system discourages them and they really can be the change even though they are in villages and are not that informed they have uh, great aspirations and uh, can contribute to the future of our country. Mm, and how did the current health crisis impacted civic engagement? What's your experience? Were you participating in some projects when it all started? So the situation of volunteering changed a lot because we got to know different uh, other skills uh, in the internet. Mm -hmm. We learned how to use uh, internet platforms, how to have online challenges and how to have fun uh, on Instagram. So I think the engagement got even higher because more and more people saw our Instagram challenges and got interested about uh, our platforms, our volunteering platforms. Uh, we had the chance to promote more um, on Insta stories and Facebook uh, what we uh, we ha what we promote uh, by being a young European ambassador and not only and not only at all the uh, organizations I volunteer is the same because uh, we try to have Zoom meetings and to and to have fun online. Moving on to a more delicate issue, the linguistic problem in our country. Uh, during my time at, uh, at school, Russian was a uh, um, mandatory subject and me being a rebel spirit, I was really against it. Uh, but now I'm really convinced that just uh, the opportunity of being fluent in two languages after you graduate shouldn't be so politicized. Uh, I know now Russian is no more a compul uh, compulsory subject. But what's your position on this uh, topic? Uh, I really think that Russian should be compulsory, even though three years ago I thought that uh, I am an uh, anti-Russian <laughs> and uh, I don't like this language and the system made us uh, learn it uh, even though we don't like it. But now I think it's a great chance to live in this country to learn Russian because it's a great advantage for, um, for having a job in the future. And um, this problem has a lot of, uh, it's really complicated because it's from the Soviet times uh, when the Soviet, Soviets created this artificial Moldovan language that doesn't exist. 
And uh, so in 1918, Romania and Moldova were unified and we had the same language, Romanian. But of course, after the Second World War um, and all the events there, um, Moldova was again annexed to Soviet Union, to Russia. And uh, anyways, we share the same culture and language of, with Romanians. But um, the biggest problem is that in our constitution, uh, there is written that our state language is the Moldo Moldovan. And I really disagree with that because we speak Romanian, but with Moldovan accent, dialect. Um, and I want to speak more about uh, the Russian language. Um, I really think that this problem divided us uh, because now there are um, people that just hate Russians for no reason. Okay, there are some people, Russian-speaking uh, people, Russian speakers that uh, don't want to speak our state language, and I really think that that's the problem. But uh, not all the um, Russian-speaking speaking Moldovans are like this. So I think we should respect them and try to live together because it's not the problem about the language, but the problem is about politics. My final question that I'm addressing to everyone is um, are you planning on leaving Moldova and moving abroad? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, good question. <laughs> um, so all my life I thought that I will uh, leave Moldova because I just love Germany and uh, I really studied hard to learn this language and um, I'm sure that I will go and study there after high school. But uh, of course, I'm thinking about coming back uh, because uh, Moldova needs really uh, good and efficient people. Um, in our country, actually, there, there are very few talented people that um, share no corruption and promote noble values. That's why I really hope that me and my classmates will come back and um, contribute on, on this country, on the system. And it's development, right? Yeah. Because we need to progress. Great interview there with Alina. Um, just for my sake, sorry, um, I don't know whether I'm pronouncing your name properly. Is it Alina Maria Tutkanu? Alina Maria Tsurkanu. Tsurkanu, great. Sorry yes. about that, Alina, if you're listening. I'm from Ireland, I'm giving it my best shots. Great <laughs> stuff. And what a really good interview. I mean, what I could, again, this is something that just keeps knocking me over, the, the maturity of Alina here. Uh, is she young, Alina? Yes, as I said, like she's in the uh, last year of uh, high school. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she is young. Okay. She is the youngest. I this think. is amazing. This is amazing. I mean, again, the maturity that that um, we're listening to is 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 uh, is spellbinding. The youth platform that Alina works from. What is the name of it? And because this idea of informing young people about the rights is a great initiative. Uh, so the name is uh, DS. It's an actually a media platform for youth that targeted is youth, uh, and. Uh, I'm really grateful that uh, this uh, platform is covering uh, our podcast as well. Yeah, and that's Alina right. is helping us with it. And um, yes, I mean, the Hey Initiative, it's, if you translate it, is like such a situation, you know? And then she explains uh, this situation and what you can do in terms of uh, your legislative rights and so on. So uh, it's really amazing for informing people because 
youth uh, lacks a bit of information on that point. I mean, of course, uh, uh, I think I was not aware of most of the things that she is uh, describing in her series right now. And I'm still not aware of most of them <laughs> at my age. So I think it's, it's a really good initiative. And has there been any notice of recognition at a media or government level? Now, I know the platform she works for is a media platform, but it, has anybody at a higher me- platform uh, noticed what she's doing? Well, unfortunately, no, which I actually think that institutions like uh, Ministry of Education or somebody locally, like uh, from municipality, it, it's a project that should be encouraged, promoted. But no, unfortunately, it's not the case. Well, I'm going to say this from the point of view coming from the, you know, Western Europe I don't see anything like this even in the Irish government. This is a fantastic initiative. So hopefully um, we will be able to get the message across that it's something that should be brought in at levels across Europe. It should be a European EU initiative, in my opinion, because it's it's actually, it knocked me out. It was the first thing she spoke about in this interview. And I went, what? <laughs> at her age, I was trying to figure out how many clubs were playing in the English Football <laughs> League. You know, it's like these things are just uh, absolutely amazing. So um, I know we don't have any figures on this, but she, she is a European youth ambassador. But generally, in your own experience, do a lot of people take up the Erasmus facility in Moldova? Now, I know it's hard, it's hard to get figures on that. Well, for instance, about the, this uh, initiative, youth, uh, European uh, Young Ambassador, um I I think it's becoming more popular uh, during during the last years. Um, It was definitely not a thing four years ago (laughs) when I was here. I I really don't recall it. But uh, right now I see a lot of people involved in it. Uh, They are promoting EU values and Moldova and explaining what EU does for Moldova. And this is, again, a really important initiative because people are not really informed. They are mostly informed by politician, which is not a really good thing because then it's a politics issue and then it's again the pro-European Union and pro-Russia, a long-lasting dispute. So I think this initiative is really uh, good because it just lets people know exactly what projects are sustained by uh, European Union, what it does and, and like concrete facts. About the figures, uh, unfortunately, I, I, I don't know the concrete figures, but from uh, master level students in Moldova, quite a bit can get this uh, grant and uh, go abroad to uh, do a semester uh, abroad and exchange program. So uh, it's also a nice opportunity because we did not have it, I think, six years ago. Uh, and it was like the students here were really limited in uh, the exchange programs. And I think it's good to change the learning environment, to experience a new one, to discover a new culture. So, uh, of course, it's a, a really great initiative for youth. We're going to move. We can move swiftly on to a related question because she was saying that the government is not great at supporting youth projects. I wanted to ask you, do you think that this is a financial constraint or is there a traditional sentiment that kind of in Moldova children should be seen and not heard? Well, I actually, uh, I, I 
I worked on this. I worked on uh, discovering the challenges of youth organizations uh, and their relationships with uh, authorities. So um, I, I had some interviews with young people and uh, mostly what I heard back from them was the financial constraint. But uh, because they are not offered budgets um, or if they request or come up with an initiative, then the answer usually is that there is not enough budget for it. And then, of course, um, the relationship with, between the youth and uh, authorities. Yes, I would say that, of course, it's not ideal because they don't really involve First of all, the youth uh, organizations in decision-making process, which I think Alina also brought it up, it's, it's really bad uh, for developing sustainable projects f uh, targeting youth. I mean, you cannot exclude the ones that you are targeting. And then um, they usually don't take them seriously. So it's like, yeah, this project is too ambitious or, oh, you don't know the challenges uh, that are in the way. And these are the main problems, I would say. Again, related to that, we have volunteering. Lots of young people are obviously around Europe keen to get involved in, in volunteering. In Moldova, is that a modern phenomenon? Or do you kind of have traditional avenues, say like scout clubs, that kind of thing? Mm, I would say it's... Um... It's a recent development. When I started doing volunteering, it was already uh, it was getting popular, and it was uh, seven years ago. But the idea and the challenge to promote volunteering is that usually people need to understand why would they invest time and something that is not remunerated. Uh, and it also comes from uh, young uh, adults because um, parents cannot, uh, many times they don't understand why you are doing this. Like, uh, why are you spending uh, your weekends um, at a vo uh, fundraising event in the park, asking people for money for an orphanage? for instance, because um, in Moldova, it's it's not a traditional thing. Uh, it's not something that is promoted in schools as well, because I think it would be actually useful to promote the idea of volunteering in schools during uh, self-development uh, lessons. Uh, we have civic education as well. There we should talk about volunteering and how important is it is this for discovering yourself as well and for helping the society that you are living in develop. So um, yes, it, it's right now it's uh, getting even more popular and I'm happy to see this development. I'm happy to see that uh, youth is getting involved, but still not as much as it should be, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And of course, volunteering is very good for networking as well. Yeah. You know, people like to name, use a different word when they uh, get people to work for free in businesses and stuff like that, which <laughs> we won't go into because a lot of people in European Union do that. But um, yeah. and they are paid very low wages. But uh, look, you know, it's the decision you make. And, um, you know, I don't fault people if they want to do volunteering. Some of the volunteer work is quite essential. Alina spoke about engaging with young people and she particularly um, paid attention to rural areas. And her experience was that access to information and opportunities is limited. 
this sounds to me like the same answer to the same question across Europe. So do you think um, being a young person yourself, and uh, I'm sure you know people from a rural area, do you think that there needs to be a more coordinated effort to access rural areas across the continent? I know this is a very general question, rather stepping a little bit outside of Moldova, but... Mm, um, well, yes, because I, it really triggers me uh, the lack of equal opportunities because everyone should be able to have the same access and it, it should not depend on either you are living in a village or in a city. And also because like in Moldova, for instance, everything is concentrated in the capital. And of course, it can be really frustrating for children that want to self-develop uh, want to be involved but they just don't have projects to because no one uh, wants to uh, go there and like spend the money and the time just uh, for the commute you know so of course it should be but it should be something coordinated by the authorities also in Europe everywhere because uh, they're responsible for this um, you cannot just wait around uh, for someone to understand that uh, oh well <laughs> the ones that are living in the rural areas are disconnected i should do something about it now it's your responsibility as uh, authorities so you should act on that and it's a really big problem and it's it's ignored mostly uh, so uh, what i think would be effective is for the people from rural areas actually to speak up and to be heard and to be listened to what they need what are their challenges and what the authorities can provide the other question is we are now dealing with a situation during the pandemic where you know vast majorities of people are going online who probably didn't use it as much as they did before so to combine with what you're saying and to to counteract this issue about rural europe in this case and moldova in particular maybe you know lessons should be learned from the way things are being done during the pandemic and we can probably keep some of the good things because there seems to be a move towards online access and we did discuss this in our last podcast a bit so i think what we need to probably do is see a return to face-to-face -face activity at some levels but do you think that it will be the same before the pandemic and if not um how would that affect developing countries like moldova I definitely think that this uh, move on the online environment had an impact on people. So there would be uh, more um, prioritization on what can be done perhaps online and offline, you know, like some meetings can be online now uh, instead of uh, spending time to commute, uh, stuff like this. For instance, uh, in the context that we are talking about projects and so on, that was a good development because then a project uh, that happened online could be accessed by anyone from anywhere, you know. But still, like, we should not forget that not everyone has access to the devices. This is a problem everywhere. And uh, also, I think when this summer I was interviewing the people about the project and I was uh, asking them what do they miss. And it was a summer and they were all saying that they miss interaction. So 
on offline interaction and uh, i was like yes but it's pandemic so we cannot offer it right now it's not up to us but they were so enthusiastic about the idea of engaging with other uh, people again with exchanging information talking face to face going to arranging this events networking events so of course there are benefits from digitalization uh, of course now we understand that we need to advance digitalization in many sectors but still i think People would prefer the real interaction, the offline events, the offline workshops where you can engage, you can uh, have this um, sense of belonging even because you belong to a community and when you are all there and you connect with each other, Offline is different for sure. So of course there would be to to, uh, to answer the question. Of course, there would be some impact, and I think it would be positive impact. But still, the traditional ways of interaction, I think there would be the preference. Yeah, I suppose it's it's a fine balance, you know. Now, <laughs> this is the question I've been dying to ask because uh, this is something that's a little pet pet project of mine all the time about language. <laughs> um, Alina said that she was in favor of the Russian language continuing to be promoted in Moldova. Controversial, I'm sure. <laughs> but um, everybody has an opinion on it. I don't think if you went down the streets of uh, any town in Moldova and asked them about this, they would. nobody would say, I'm not really <laughs> like answering that question. <laughs> yeah. So we have a very similar situation here in Ireland because traditionally, of course, we do have our own language, but everyone speaks English and maybe four or 5% speak fluent uh, Irish. So, you know, there's always a conversation about language uh, in our country and it seems to be the same. I just wanted to talk to you because she said that Moldova was, you know, obviously it was listed as an official language in the constitution, but that, you know, it's a dialect. So going back to the original question about Russia, and then we go to the Moldovan question. Is it possible to determine if there are any kind of numbers supporting the sentiment about the Russian language? It's, um, it's a big question, I know. <laughs> yes, for sure. It, and also it's a recent one because uh, uh, we had uh, an attempt to give special sta status to the Russian language in uh, Moldova and it was dismissed by the Constitutional Court. And it only fueled further division in society because... In my opinion, I don't see why this should be an issue at all. It's really uh, nice. <laughs> I think I think it's nice because you can uh, look at the TV and uh, you can uh, listen to um, I don't know a political uh, TV show, and uh, then somebody talks in Romanian and then somebody talks in Russian and you understand both of them and they are pro probably talking be between each other you know <laughs> so <laughs> it's amazing I mean why not why not do it so if we were trying to boil it down a little bit you probably think that majority of young people who are maybe 
looking at it more in a global perspective would say, ah, yeah, sure. If look, if they want to have Russian here, they can have it. Of course. I mean, it, it the question that we were discussing with Alina, it, it was uh, about the, it being a mandatory subject in schools, you know, which is a controversial topic sure. because um, you, you can look at it from different ways. You can understand all the positions, you know, they're all valid. But then in the end, as she also said, it's just an opportunity to learn a lang another language. But it's so politicized. And um, I think uh, I recently read an article. It was um, uh, written um, from a perspective of uh, Russian speaking in Moldova. And I think often those that are speaking Romanian are not thinking from that perspective at all. And uh, she was saying that when you are constantly telling someone that you should speak our language, you should speak our language, you should speak our language, they will develop a negative sentiment towards this, you know, and they will not be encouraged to speak it. Also, because maybe they have an accent, of course, and then somebody is constantly picking on that accent or correcting them. So it's not an environment where you would be encouraged to speak it now. And I think often we miss that perspective. It should not be such a big issue because uh, in the end, it's just their language. Of course, you can be annoyed if you are in your country and you they are not speaking in your language, but you should not develop a negative sentiment towards this part of the society because it's just it's just the way that they are speaking in their family it's just the way they were born it's just the way they were raised so of course it's it, it, i think uh, the main idea and i'm i'm totally agreeing with that is that everyone should speak should be able to speak the uh, national language, uh, so Romanian. But you should not push it to that level where they come to hate it. <laughs> it's not the way to go. You should instead promote it rather, uh, and it should be promoted by the authorities as well. And it's, it's a problem in Transnistria, for instance, because uh, the population that speaks Romanian there, they do not have access to education because there is like one or a school that teaches in Romanian. And it's a, a thing uh, that should be promoted by the authorities. Uh, I mean, speaking the national language and also encouraging it in the education uh, because um, also in the Russian teaching schools in Chisinau, from what I know, they are not the language, uh, I don't know if you have this in your schools, but like uh, here, um, when you have the French classes, it's not like you are you will be fluent in French after you graduate, you know. So it was the same uh, in uh, Russian teaching um, schools. It's the same with Romanian, which is the national language. It's not a serious subject for them. They are not really learning it at school. So if they are not really learning it at school, why where would they learn it like should they go to paid classes i don't think so because it's not the way it should be it's not like you should it's your own choice or you should invest that much time in it and effort i'd like to talk briefly about the, the other reference that you made in regards to the language conversation and 
the education in school about it. Now, I'm obviously no expert here, but I'm, I was intrigued about this reference to a Moldovan dialect. Can you tell me if there are significant differences between Moldovan and Romanian dialects? Or is it like Czech and Slovak, maybe? I can say that if I would speak to a Romanian the way that I'm speaking to a Moldovan, they would probably not under, fully understand me because we do have different words for things. Uh, we do have different expressions with my, which might be strange f- for each other, you know. But in the end, if we speak it in a, an articulate way, uh, in a like proper way, like they speak it at, at high level, at a high we, level, we would call it the Queen's English. <laughs> exactly <laughs> that <laughs> level. Um, it, it would be the same. <laughs> I mean, if a Romanian is watching the TV here uh, in Moldova, it's like exactly the same. Like no difference at all. It's just like the speaking language. Right. So it's more of a diversion is more down to social. Yeah. Also, Alina mentioned it, that uh, it's the influence of the Soviet uh, Union. We cannot ignore it, right? We had communism, we have Soviet Union. It, it It's not bad. It's not good. It's just the way it is. It's just the reality. It affected us as a society. It affected our language as well. It's just the reality, you know. Uh, but then in the end, it's it's Romanian. Uh, as she said, it's the dialect. But if you look at the broader picture, it's the same. Well, maybe we can put that question out to our listeners. They can put it in the comment section on our Facebook page at europeunited.eu. They can send us an email at info at europeunited.eu. I mean, what is your thoughts about it? I mean, in regards to languages and dialects, is there a big difference or, you know, so we'd like to hear from you guys, particularly in this conversation. Um, It's something that maybe we could interestingly go at again in a bonus podcast or something like that. The last question that you asked Alina was, of course, basically whether she's going to stay or go abroad from Moldova. Yeah, of course, I'm asking this to everyone. We might see a pattern here because the thing is that nobody uh, says that they really hate the country and they don't ever want to come back. But then they do point out the fact that there are not enough uh, possibilities, not enough opportunities, not enough progress for them, and things are not changing fast enough. So everyone wants to come back to a better place. And uh, perhaps uh, we don't notice the changes if we are here for a longer period of time in Moldova, I mean, uh, because it's in the contrast with all the negative things that are happening and are keeping our mind. But actually, just to jump in on you there, isn't that amazing that we've had three people who really want to come back home? What's stopping them isn't a you know, that they don't like their country or they want to get away from their country, which, which, you know, it's a common thing. You come across a lot of people across Europe, even young people who say, I can't wait to get out of X country or I can't wait to get out of Y country. And, you know, they usually have these things like it's, you know, it's a dump or the government is corrupt or the weather is terrible, you know. And yet you have these three young people who are just saying, yes, if I could, I would. You know, I've no, I've, you know, and even when you look at the fact that Elena is, Uh, she's a European ambassador if anybody she should be tempted to go because she's been exposed to all of this yellow brick road style stuff (laughs) about all the way to Brussels and yet uh, despite the fact that this is kind of coming to her on a daily basis she's still saying 
this is beautiful. Yeah, it's great. But I'd actually like to maybe take Moldova with me rather than just go there and just stay there and enjoy it all for myself. Exactly. And I couldn't agree more with her on this because myself, I uh, graduated European studies and I was exposed to all of this uh, new greatness. And um, uh, still, I, what is my main goal is to bring all of this in Moldova because it can definitely benefit from all uh, of uh, uh, values and norms and everything that you is promoting uh, and uh, i do agree that she she can she could be tempted to see that there is a better place for her and just leave yeah. you know because yeah that's the easy yeah. thing to do you know, I mean, that like, it's not the, you know, it's okay for people yeah. to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. This is what freedom of movement is <laughs> all about. And by extending the hand of friendship, either by cooperating in the, say, for example, where the way Moldova is involved in the Eastern Partnership, by cooperating with countries like Moldova and giving them the option to do that, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with people saying that, actually, I do want to go and emigrate. But the thing is, it's just nice to hear all of these people saying, well, actually, I think I'd miss my mother's home cooking sort of thing. You know, it's a very homely, nice thing. And it's, you know, as countries become more global, that nice sentiment disappears. So it, it's good to see that there are very young people who are, by the way, exposed to even far more uh, influx of information than even you have, say, when you were there. Exactly. Age. So, and that's not, and that's not a long yeah. time ago. <laughs> so, not even going to go down the road of talking about me. <laughs> but the thing is, it's just really good to see this. So I think it's a great way to end um, this podcast that we, that you did manage to get that air of positivity from her and it not maybe what we could have expected if it was somebody maybe from uh, the United States or Britain or somebody like that, uh, sort of where they have an air of expectation <laughs> or maybe an air of I don't know, um, you know, they think they're they, they're owed something. So it's nice to have that. People say, I love I love my country, you know, and I really enjoy this fact that I'm exposed to Europe. But at the end of the day, my country is, is you know, for me, it's it's home. Yes, exactly. You've been listening to episode three of the Moldovan Coffee Break. Our sincere thanks to Alina for chatting with us. And of course, thanks to you, Laura Dana, for another fantastic interview. Thank you, Ken, for all your work. <laughs> <laughs> sure, as I said, I'm sitting back enjoying all this. It's, it's, it's great. So who are we talking to in episode four? Loredana? So our next guest is Loredana. She's 20. Oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. I love to introduce us. Um, she's 27 years old and she is a public servant in Moldova. So we will talk uh, and discover together with her how is it to work for the state in Moldova. That's going to be really interesting because obviously we've had people who are uh, aspiring to go to a life of, you know, work or further education. And now we have somebody who is at that point. So that's going to be really interesting. Of course, working for the government who have always got this kind of big black shadow or whatever. So it'd be nice to get an inside view on that. And of course, guys, you can access, download or subscribe to our podcast via all the major platforms. And you can follow us uh, via our Facebook page at EuropeUnited.eu or indeed on our website, which is also EuropeUnited.eu. So stay tuned for episode four and we will be with you very, very soon. Take care, y'all. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.